0: Welcome to STEAM Powered, where I have conversations with women in STEAM to learn a little bit about what they do and who they are. I'm your host, Michelle Ong. My guest today is Jocelyn James. Jocelyn is an engineering manager, and as a disabled woman with a background in human rights, she's passionate about inclusivity in engineering and ensuring that those with a non-traditional path to tech have the opportunity to pursue their goals. Join us as we talk about Jocelyn's indirect route to tech, improving the tech interview experience, and how remote work promotes inclusivity. Welcome Jocelyn, thank you so much for joining me today on STEAM Pod. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you today about your journey to software engineering.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here.
0: Excellent. So like the interesting thing about your journey is that you started off in sociology. So what drew you to that field to be in with?
1: Yeah. So my, my kind of journey into tech has looked roughly like this <laughs> <laughs> all over the place. I've had four different Careers. Um, yeah, I did my undergrad studies in sociology and French, and then I did my graduate program in human rights. So, um, nothing even remotely related to like engineering or yeah. web development or anything. <laughs> um, I actually started my, um, I, as, as an undergrad, I started out studying, um, international relations, which was like a fusion of the poli sci and economics department. And I got about yeah. a year and a half into it. And I was just like, this is fine, but it's also very boring. I, I grew up in a military family living all over the place, traveling all over the place, and so I'd known that like I wanted to do something internationally, I just didn't know what that was, mm-hmm. and so I thought international relations. Um, and then kind of very quickly discovered that like that wasn't really my niche. Um, took one sociology class just kind of like on a whim, it was urban sociology, and I thought it sounded really interesting. And I loved it. And within literally, I think it was like two classes in, I switched my major. Um, wow. So like that was about, I think that was halfway through my sophomore year. So um, and loved it, like loved. We didn't like I went to a very small university and we did not have like specializations within sociology but um I took all the classes I could on like urban sociology and like sociology of gender so that's what I found really really interesting um and then from there I worked a couple years I, I went to university near Boston and so when I graduated I moved into the city and lived there for a couple years um worked in like um refugee services for a couple years and then moved to London to do my master's, um, which was in human rights. So, um, yeah, happy, like happy to keep talking about how that eventually led (laughs) to engineering, but happy to have Mm -hmm. questions so far.
0: No, that's really cool. But like, so when you, you know, got interested in sociology and the people aspect and, you know, just wanting clearly it's because you want to be able to do something might be actively changing something. So why human rights specifically as your master's?
1: Um, So I had decided that I wanted to focus on, um, so specific, uh, mental health. uh, (laughs) Mental health, it's like the most, my dissertation was like so incredibly specific and I went into my (laughs) master's program knowing exactly what I wanted my dissertation to be on. Um, That's very cool. So I, yeah, I focused on, utilizing artistic therapies to rehabilitate survivors of trauma, specifically um gender based sex trafficking. So it's like a wow. very specific thing. Um because I have a yes. I have an artistic background like never professionally I didn't get my degree in art or anything, but it's just always something I've done. All of the you can't see it, but all of the art in my apartment <laughs> is like stuff that I've done. Um and I just find it like very therapeutic. Um so I wanted to kind of combine that with, like, a lot of, a lot of the, the studies that I'd done in my undergrad program for sociology around, like, gender and gender-based violence and things like that. Um, so, yeah, decided to do human rights um, and, and then, yeah, focus very specifically on, like, that aspect of human rights. Um, and then realized I couldn't really support myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes uh,
1: that was, that was
0: a, it's very it's a bit too niche getting, to be was, able to yeah
1: yeah it's very and what I discovered I mean I knew I, I knew going into that field and you know the field of nonprofit and NGOs and human rights and like I I was never going to be getting rich and that was fine um but kind of what I didn't realize was that like a lot of the a lot of the programs for like my specialty are not even they're, they're volunteer based. Like they're completely volunteer run. They have maybe like one or two paid people on staff. And then they have all these just like voluntary roles. Um, and so I was like, cool. Well, I'm not independently wealthy, so that's not going to work. Um, ended up like I, I stayed in London, did did my master's in London. Um, and, and ended up, I loved it. So I ended up actually got my dog there. (laughs) She's from London. Um, (laughs) Ended up being there for several years and just work. I didn't. I didn't work specifically in my field. I worked um, in the forensic psychiatry research unit at Queen Mary, um, just doing. That like, sounds interesting. Research admin. It was. Yeah. yeah it's very. Um, that, I. I recently discovered that like that particular institute doesn't exist anymore at Queen Mary, oh. um, which is kind of strange. I don't know why, but um, but yeah, it was. It was a very interesting like research um projects that they that they had um did that for a couple years um and I was like it's so, sort of tangentially related it was like you know I like focused on mental health in my dissertation and I was like okay now I'm like working in a, like psychiatry research unit. It's like mm, sort of related um but never really worked in my field like never yeah. never got a job doing like doing human rights, if you will, um, like, you know, doing research or prevention of, you know, of trafficking or aftercare, any of that. Um, and I moved back to the States in 2014, early 2014 and, um, was like applying to all of these jobs that I was, that sounded super exciting and I was qualified for. And the pay was just abysmal. Like it was, I mean, we're talking like like minimum wage. Um, and they wanted someone with a master's degree with experience. And I'm like, I, you can't have both of those things. <laughs> like, yeah.
0: um,
1: I got very disillusioned just in general, kind of with the sector. Um, and ended up that, that's kind really of randomly really ended up teaching ESL. Yeah, it was, it was, it was rough. Um, so like ended up teaching ESL for a couple years, which I sort of fell into, but ended up really liking and like being very good at. Um, but I did that for a couple years, and then I kind of felt like I'd gone as far as I could go. Um, you know, like I I'd moved up, so mm-hmm. like I I created a curriculum for like a new a new program at the school. Like I and then I'm like, okay, well, what do I do now? This is it. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> that's when I made the, made the switch into tech. So I was about to turn 30 and I just had like a, a very real, very honest conversation with myself where I was like, what do you, do you want this for your life? Like, do you want that? Like the financial instability, the like, you know, the kind of dead end of like the career. I'm like, I don't really want that for my life. Um, and mm-hmm. my brother-in-law is actually is an iOS developer. And so I, I had a lot of talks with him about like, what does this look like? Is this a thing I could do? Um, And eventually decided that like, I would just, would just, it was like, go big or go home. (laughs) Uh, So I was like, all right, I quit my teaching job. And I did like, I I did a a four month intensive, um, like full time course, like boot camp as they call them. Um, And that was like end of 2016, beginning of 2017. um, That, that, that I did that course. And then like, became a developer <laughs> so, <laughs> um yeah that, and I was living in San Diego at the time it's um a very convoluted story I was trying to move back to London <laughs> that didn't work um so finally ended up out here I'm, I'm now in Manhattan I'm in New York um finally ended up out here in 2018 fall of 2018 um and yeah I've been I've been working in in tech and in software ever since
0: that is very, very cool and quite the journey. And it must have been very challenging spending so much time focusing on this area in human rights and not being able to apply those skills in a way that you'd like to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was super frustrating. Um, I will say I never, I never regretted what I studied because I had, I had an amazing yeah. experience in my master's Like I, the people I like the the cohort that I studied with were wonderful we all got along really well we were all very close um I'm still best like I consider some of them to still be my best friends um had like a you know a great like course experience um so I thankfully never felt like oh I wish I'd done something different um yeah but but yeah it was very disillusioning to like to you know put in that much like passion and time and effort and money um and be yeah. like oh just kidding I can't actually support myself in this industry um mm. so and like I can't actually do the thing that I thought I was going to do with my life um so that yeah that was hard and there was definitely like there was only a it, it was a it was a big risk what I did to like to do that that just like massive pivot into mm. um into development and into software uh because like it could have very much blown up in my face. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, I had, it but, wasn't even like, oh, this is something I've been interested in or, oh, this is something I kind of did as, as a hot like at all. It was, I had never yeah. considered computer science or software or develop. like it didn't, it wasn't even on my radar. Um, yeah. And so it very easily change. could have like not gone well. <laughs> so <laughs> um, yeah, like, it's, it was one of those things where as I like, was kind of making the decision and figuring out, like, what it would look like for my life, the long-term goal for me was, and still is, to, like, bring those two professions together. um, So that, like, I, because I'm, like, I still have all of this, like, knowledge and understanding and of, you know, like social Experience. issues and all those things. And I would still very much like to incorporate that into my, you know, career. It's not like, I'm just like, Oh, leave it all behind. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, as a, as a kind of a long-term goal, that's definitely still something that like I want to do. But what I realized is that I could do it better and make more, mm. make more of a difference and be more like stable by doing it in a very different way, um, as opposed to just like scraping by and always being stressed and, (laughs) you know,
0: yeah. Yeah. And it really does highlight, you know, one of the issues in that area, because when you are looking at social services and human rights and support in all of those areas, it's underfunded and, you know, if a lot of the roles that you're looking at are volunteer, There's a lot of expectation about the people who enter those fields to either be self-supporting or doing it as a side thing. So it's not even a primary focus. You have to be able to do something else to be able to support your want to help in this field. And it's, it's very demanding. So with tech, cause you, you have mentioned to me that you, it, it's something that you want to be able to bring your tech skills into, to be able to incorporate, you know, providing this sort of support. And is there, you know, have you any thoughts about how you wanted to you know incorporate that into the future for you?
1: Yeah, I, um, I have like short-term and very, like I have like short-term, much more achievable, much more like more concrete things that I want to do. And then I have like my pie in the sky vision (laughs) that like eventually maybe someday will happen. Um, yeah, right now. So I actually kind of, um, so I was, um, I was in, you know, software engineer for three ish years. Um, and then in my current role, I'm an engineering manager and I sort of accidentally became an engineering manager. (laughs) Like I did (laughs) not do it on purpose. Um, what what happened was so I was laid off at the first week of lockdown COVID 2020, mm-hmm. March 2020. Like I lost my job the first week. Um wow. and no warning, no severance, like worst way they possibly could have done it. Like mass email, oh. nothing personalized it was awful. Ooh. Um yeah. so um and I spent in, in like one full calendar year applying to and interviewing for jobs before I got an offer. So it was I was laid off on March 25th of 2020 and I got my current offer like my current job um on March 24th of 2021. And I let me tell you, it wasn't cuz I was just sitting like resting on my laurels. I like I had interviews on average every day. Like you average them out over the whole year cuz like some days I'd have three interviews, some days I'd have none, right? But like roughly every day i had an interview mm-hmm. um and which is terrible so like i don't know what it you is. specifically like what field you're in or what sector you're in but like
0: software
1: engineering interviews are okay they like they <laughs> are Dante's circle of hell like engineering interviews are just terrible and I did that for a full year. And I was just like, by like six months in, I was just, my soul was just crushed. <laughs> like, I was like, oh this is no. terrible. Um, and what I, it, it was very bizarre because, so I I got I laid off and of course I was like anxious and panicked and like, oh my God, I've lost my job. What do I do? But on the other hand, I like, I got laid off on, in the morning. And by the afternoon, I had an interview lined up. So there was part of me that was like, mm. I'll be fine.
0: Um, There's hope.
1: <laughs> and right, I was like, okay, I've got an interview, like, this will be okay. I'll get an offer soon. It'll be fine. Um, and it was very, like, very confusing because I did not have to expend a lot of effort To find roles, right? To like, I was Mm. getting bomb as soon as I put like the magic, the magic phrase on LinkedIn. I'm open to work, right? As soon as I like switched my LinkedIn open, that I was getting like bombarded by recruiters and you know whatever. Um, and so I was like, oh, this will, I'll be fine. Like, it may, I may not get my dream job, but like, I will, I will find something quickly. Um, Yeah. And then I just kept getting, like, I kept getting interview request after interview request after interview request and never getting offers and I would go through the whole process like I would do their terrible take-home exercises and I would do their terrible five-hour panel you know consecutive interviews and then I would never get offers and it was just like Mm. what is going on and I Ding, ding! finally after several months of this i was like what is happening and i started looking at like whenever whenever someone would contact me i would look at the organization and i would pull them up on linkedin and i would look at their employees in their engineering department on linkedin and i would see how many of them were women like i started keeping track and of the hundreds of interviews that i had over the course of a year i think maybe three or four of them had women on their interviewing panels and maybe an equivalent number had women on their engineering. teams.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's not like, it's not egregious if it's a startup and there's only five people and there's two engineers, right? Like, okay, well you can't yeah. have the rainbow, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know? Like, but yeah. some, of of them, right? <laughs> some of them were like, they were, right? they were these very small startups and I'm like, okay, it's fair enough but some of them were not, some of them were like big organizations or even like women centric organizations, like, like marketing products to women. And they did not have any women engineers. And I was like, Mm. Oh, okay. I'm the diversity tick box. Like, look, we interviewed a woman tick. (laughs) Like we're not going to hire her, but we're going to interview her. And like, and I was just like, that's what's happening here and I'm sure that's not like the case with every single place I interviewed but it it happened often enough across a broad range of, of industries and you know whatever that I was like oh no this is definitely a thing that's happening because the interview processes are so skewed in favor of this one particular demographic which is people who studied like computer science at college and had like, you know, years of foundational like algorithmic, whatever, and have all these things just like stored in their head. And I, that's not me. And that's, I mean, it will surprise Mm. no one that like the majority of people who are doing computer science degrees are like straight white men. (laughs) So those are the people that are like, that these interview processes are skewing in favor of. and so I'm like, okay, this is all like I'm figuring this all out over the course of like this terrible. I called it my year of interviews, like this terrible year, um, and just like kind of like with human rights, just like becoming more and
0: more disillusioned. Where I'm like, <laughs> oh no, can I even round two?
1: Do this anymore? Mm. I'm like, I'm so tired. Like I'm just so tired. Mm. Um, and finally, finally, um, so the company that that I that I now work for. Um, Found me on Twitter actually, um, and you know, sent me a message and said like, "Hey, we're looking, you know, we're looking for people. Would you be interested, et cetera, et cetera?" Um, and I was like, "Yeah, sure, why not?" Um, and they had two open roles. One was just for you know, individual contributor, and one was for manager. And I very intentionally said, "Like, okay, let me interview for the individual contributor role because." I had, like, I was so, like, what, what had kept happening over the course of the year was, like, I would get contacted for these roles that were senior engineer roles, and mm. I would get all the way through the process, and at the end, they would tell me, oh, sorry, we, we're not hiring you because you don't have enough experience. And it's like, "Yeah, you're the one who found me. You knew what my experience was. <laughs> like, I'm not, you know, I didn't make it up. Yeah. And so I was so tired of that and so tired of like going through the whole just like grueling process only to be told you don't have the experience that I was like, you know what? Let me err on the side of like the the lower (laughs) end of the spectrum because I can't go through this again. (laughs) So I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be happy to interview for like the, you know, the engineering role rather than like the team lead role. Um, And so I, I, the first interview I had, for the like for the individual contributor role, and um, the manager called me up after the interview and said, "Hey, we like really liked you, but we have this other role that's like it's it's manager role and it's you know like higher title, higher more money. Would you be interested?" And I was like, "Yes," <laughs> uh, and I was very honest. I was like, I the "Exact same thing I just told you, which is like honestly the reason that I that I." decided to interview for this role is because I like I'm so tired of being told I don't have the experience necessary for these more senior roles. So anyway um so that's kind of how that ended happening where it was like I had not like I had not intended to go into engineering management um yet. Like, it wasn't something that yeah. I was ruling out. It wasn't like, oh, I never want to do that. But I was not actively looking to be an engineering manager yet. Um, yeah. And honestly, what, what kind of tipped me over the edge um, was the year that I spent interviewing, where it was like, this is terrible. Like, this industry is so broken. And, like, it's just awful. And I felt like... I can make more of a difference in a managerial role than I can in a individual contributor role. Um, mm. and Lord, things things need to change. So if that's what I'm, if that's what I need to do to change, them, then that's what I'll do. So like, that's kind of how I, um, I came to be in like a managerial position because it was not a thing that I was like actively aiming for. Um, yeah. And, I had, I have had some, I mean, I, you know, I was, I was only a software engineer for about three years, but like in those three years, I had some truly terrible managers. <laughs> like, and I sort of, when this opportunity presented itself, it was sort of like, I almost felt like, I was like, you know what? Like, cause of course there's imposter syndrome and all that. And I was like, I don't even know if I'm mm. qualified to do this. Like, and then I was like, I had to talk with myself and I was like, the fact that you're even wondering that already makes you a better manager than some of your previous because managers. You're cla- yeah. <laughs> like, because fact- you're actually questioning, yeah, like the-
0: your your thought processes. Mm.
1: Exactly. So, um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how I I came into the role that I'm in now, and um, through that, like that's that's sort of where I'm what I'm making my focus at the moment in terms of like, how, you know, human rights or, you know, social issues or whatever, and tech intersect is like, at the mm. moment I've kind of chosen to, to have it be at this point of like, I want to make the tech, like the interview process, the the culture, that whatever, I want to make that a more inclusive holistic space. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where my, where my focus is right now. Um, And like figuring out what that looks like and, you know, how we can change our interview processes to make them, you know, more, more accessible and more inclusive and all those sorts of things. Um, so yeah, that's, that's at the moment, that's kind of where, where my focus lies.
0: That's amazing. And it, it is one of those things that's coming up a lot more in conversation when you're actually looking online at all these things. Because the algorithms ask you, yeah. they, they use language, they use specific gates to be able to reject applications um, yeah. immediately. And I mean, it's fair enough, you need to be able to screen because you're probably getting hundreds of applications for popular jobs at any one time. But, you know, right. traditionally, they expect, as you say, a degree. And for a lot of the larger tech companies, a four-year degree. And then, so you have you know, the limitations of the people who will be accessing these programs. And then, you know, even yep. afterwards, like you, you yourself, you've had three years of experience. And if they're eliminating you on the lack of degree, which I'm pretty sure statistically they probably would be based on, you know, resume scraping, right? Then you're also immediately discounting people who have industry experience, not just book experience. Right. And more and more these days, you're getting people who are getting into these sea changes. There are so many people who are doing these boot camps, who are getting into tech or sidestepping into other industries through technology to be able to contribute in other ways. And they're bringing external experience from other fields, from other jobs and other types of work to these roles, but getting immediately excluded because they don't meet the traditional shape of what an engineer is meant to look like academically. And, you know, right. that's that's your first gate, right? On top of that, you've also got yeah. the language gate or the, um, the gender gate for the people who, the way that you write your resumes or the way that you convey yourself before you even get that face-to-face. And language-wise, you will be looking for words that might not be used traditionally by women in tech. And it's just because of the way we speak, the way that we articulate ourselves. So all these algorithms are designed to kind of shape a certain look and feel for an organization, but not in a way which might actually be beneficial to innovating in that area.
1: Right, (laughs) like I think the the egregious, the most egregious example for me was I interviewed for um, a role at a company that makes like plus size clothing. So like Mm. very much aimed at women, right? I mean, they do make men's clothing too, but like who's who's the biggest market for that? Women, (laughs) yeah, and they had. And we're not, this was not a small company. Like this was a large mm. company. Um, and they had nary a woman in sight on their engineering team. And I was yeah. like, and and let me tell you, like they were going through a gigantic rebrand because they're, they were they were unprofitable and they weren't doing well and their things were selling. And I'm like, I wonder why... It's almost like you should maybe have people on your team from the demographic that you are marketing to. (laughs) Like, it's just these very, like, because I mean, you know, like, I believe that teams should be diverse no matter what. And it shouldn't necessarily be because it's, you know, it makes
0: more money. You're not, you're not there. But like, it's not not for making money. It's not for ticking boxes. Yeah.
1: Right, right. But, like, honestly, if you want to come at it from that perspective and from the viewpoint of, like, how is this benefiting the company, there it is. Like, if you don't have, you know, the the people on your team that are, like, that are your target demographic, like, your product will suffer. Those are just facts. <laughs> like, um, yeah. and so it just doesn't even make good business sense to 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 be skewing like or like narrow you know having such a narrow idea of like who you should be hiring and etc mm.
0: um
1: and and for me like because of course like and I actually I started getting very sassy in my responses to these companies because I was so like I was just so done and I was like I don't even like if, if this is how like, that particular process was very terrible in very multiple ways um and so by the time I got to the end of it and they rejected me I was like very sassy in my response I was like I'm not surprised because xyz this was my experience it was a very negative experience I would not want to work there even if I had been offered the role here is why like I <laughs> very sassy oh and um and the HR people got back to me and said like hey would you be willing like We'd like to talk to you about this. Would you be willing to have a call with us? And I was like, sure. I got nothing but time. I have no job, <laughs> so <laughs> um, they, they called and, and we chatted. And I was very, like you know, professional but honest. I was like, look, yeah, this is this was my experience going through your process. It was horrible in many many ways there was not a single woman in the of the of the five people who interviewed me in five hours in a row none of not one of them was a woman um and you know and they said oh well we don't hire you know and then I pointed out like and and no one on like I've I've looked at who your engineering team is made up of none of them are women you have a product market towards women this doesn't make sense And they, you know, they said, oh, well, we don't hire based on, we just hire the best person for the job. And I said, and then I gave Hmm. them like an abbreviated TED Talk on um, like inherent bias. I was like, look, if all of the people who are doing your interviews are from this one demographic, who do you think they're going to want to hire? The same demographic. So it was very much like... uh, I had like, and, I, and that was probably the most egregious, but I had other similar experiences in that year mm. and I came out of it with this, like, w- it was awful and I'm, I don't wish it on anyone, but like, I came out of it kind of with like a very good understanding of like what is broken in the tech process, like in the inner tech interview mm. process and in the hiring process. And, and the thing is, and like, I gave a talk on this, um, at a conference a few months ago. It's like so many companies have, you know, they pay lip service to this idea of having, uh, you know, being inclusive and being diverse and, oh, we value, you know, we value, um, you know, we value diverse perspectives. We value diverse experiences, et cetera, et cetera. And then they don't change anything about the way that they do their hiring and they do their interviewing. And so you can't change the way that you can't change who. You hire without changing how you hire. You and hire. so that's kind of become my soapbox If <laughs> you couldn't tell. I'm like, yeah. you know, you can you can you can say, you know, you can be the most progressive minded company and talk about how you value diversity till you're blue in the face, but if you are doing your interview process the same way as everyone else, it doesn't mm. mean anything. It really doesn't. Yeah. Um, and that's what I just kept encountering over and over again when I would interview, is I'd interview with these companies that seemed really cool and were maybe some of them were doing really, really cool things in you know various industries. Um, but then I'd go through their process and I was like, This is the same as everywhere else, and it's terrible. Um and so I have like I have to say it's my little plug for where I work now, but like they were the only interview process that I went through where at the end of it, like I hadn't gotten an offer yet, but I, you know, I'd gotten through the process. And like, in my mind, I was like, I really need to tell, like, regardless of whether they make me an offer or not, mm. I really need to tell them how much I appreciate the way that they do their hiring, and the way that they do their interview process, because it's the only place in this whole year of interviews that hasn't just made me like want to die inside. <laughs> um so yeah so you know they didn't do like because so many places just they expect you to do these these take-home exercises that take four hours or four days
0: Mm.
1: and they expect you to do these these consecutive interviews that is like an hour an hour an hour and it ends up being like a five-hour zoom interview or they expect you to do whiteboarding which is like just notoriously a bad way of interviewing and um and the, this company does not do any of those things and i was like oh my god <laughs> they do exist <laughs> like you can find companies that are trying actively trying to to do things better um yeah. so yeah that's i'm that's where i'm at right now is just kind of like trying to spread the gospel of like you can do it differently you can it's possible yes. <laughs> like <laughs>
0: Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating, especially like you must be finding now that you are hiring your own people and reviewing how you are reflecting that process as well, because it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it it probably kicked off at, you know, the tech boom in the nineties and you went, okay, right. So everyone's going to be wanting to be here. We need to get all these people through. We need to be able to interview them. We need to do it efficiently and effectively. But you know, how can a four month interview process be effective and efficient? (laughs) And yep. you know you're looking at yeah. all the way that people are reviewing these things, all the way that people, uh, you know, the fact that you there are people in uh, the fact that there are organizations that can teach you how to pass these interviews, who can coach you in Why? negotiating yeah. the salaries, and you know, there's a whole industry built up to be able yeah. to game the interview system, and. Yes. you know when you when you have to create a side industry to support this process surely there has to be something that needs to be done to change the way it's right. done like if yeah. you can game it then is it really doing the job right <laughs> yeah
1: exactly. <sighs> exactly and like the, the strawman argument that i hear all the time is like because my my like my soapbox specifically is like stop doing whiteboarding in interviews like it's ineffective it's stressful it's anxiety inducing like and and it's not a good way of gauging someone's skills in the real like in a real life situation like we all yeah. google stuff all the time right like <laughs> senior engineers well how do i how do i center a dip like all the time and We're so from the gist. fact that like <laughs> Like the fact that you are expected <laughs> in this artificial environment to just like have all these things memorized in your brain and then be able to like you know put them down is just it's just a terrible it's just all around terrible for everyone, um, mm. and I yeah I just like that specifically I feel very strongly about um, because I just think it's such a like it's it's just not reflective of like what the skills are that you actually need. To be good at your job Mm. and there's this like but there's this whole sector of people that is just utterly convinced that if we don't do whiteboarding and interviews all of these fake engineers are going to get through like all of these you know like people masquerading as programmers are going to like somehow slip get through the whole process and slip through and end up in these roles that you know in these in these engineering roles without being qualified And I'm like, I have literally never seen that happen. (laughs) Like, I'm sure it has happened here and there and, you know, whatever. But like, it's such a, it's because I've had every time I bring this up, I like to, you know, to, to a group or whatever, there's always someone who's like, well, what about like, if you don't, if you don't test them, you can't know if they're going to, you know, they could just be faking it. And I'm like. I mean, I managed to interview and hire an entire team without any whiteboarding and <laughs> none of them it. like, it's just such, yeah. it's such a, it's a common argument, but it's so common. Like I hear it all the time and it just drives me crazy. Cause I'm like, where are they? Where are all these fake engineers? Like I actually read a really good article about it. I don't remember what it was <laughs> called. Uh, like a couple of weeks ago where it was, it was basically like the myth of the like, of the secretly bad engineer or something. And it was basically about how there is this idea that like, Oh, if we don't, if we don't like interview in this very specific way, all of these like secretly terrible engineers are going to get through our process. And, you know, we'll, we'll just then end up being completely unproductive and et cetera, et cetera. Um, But no one actually knows of anywhere where that's happened. (laughs) Like it's (laughs) this kind of just like, Urban legend where it's just like, oh no, this is what will happen if we don't do these, you know, like algorithmic interviews. And it's like, is it though? Like, is it? <laughs> I don't think so. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And there's so many ways to be able to kind of suss out your fakers. And even then, like, so many of the, hmm, let's see there's a lot of imposter syndrome that happens in this space yeah. and there's a lot of you know you you hear about how the men will be happy to fake it till they make it and the women are less likely to but even yeah. then yeah to be able to fake that you are an engineer so well that you make it through an interview process by making stuff up <laughs> it's hard work like that that's yeah that requires you to prepare (laughs) and if you can prepare you can probably do some of the job (laughs) because you're already halfway there right and you're already you know working hard to be able to pass these little people gates to get through to get this job and the number of people who would do that are outliers so even if you're going through an interview exactly. process, and out of a hundred, one person you've hired on over the last six years is a dud, that's still cheaper than a protracted interview process. <laughs> exactly.
1: exactly. Yeah. It's it's there are so many reasons, right? Why like why yeah. there are there are better ways to do this. Um, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it's always mm-hmm. self-fulfilling as well because you know you you talk about how they've got mm-hmm. all these fears about if we do this any other way then you know we're clearly going right. to have all these problems but we're afraid to try it the other way because the current way is sort of working for us right now yeah. <laughs> so that you can't you can't yeah. explore you can't test your like hypothesis the whole, the <laughs> right. yeah.
1: just having such such a like um what's the word i'm looking for like protracted and gate kept and whatever process in place, like that in and of itself puts off a whole lot of people. So, I mean, like I have been contacted by during, during my year of interviews, I was contacted by multiple recruiters from Amazon. And mm. I ghosted all of them because I would get through, I went, I I took one of them, the screening call, and they told me what their process was. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, I'm not doing that. I'm not putting myself through that. Um, yeah. And and so many of these companies are like that, where it's like they're self-selecting like candidates are self-selecting out just knowing what the process is, like not even having start, not even going through the process, but just like knowing that like, okay, that's what I would have to do. Absolutely not. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Um, so like, I, I hope that like eventually, because currently the market is very much in favor of engineers rather than companies where it's like, you know, there's yeah. so much demand and they're, you know, there's so there, people need engineers. Um, and I'm hoping that like, that will allow us to be a little more demanding of how these interview processes treat us. Cause it was like, when I was yeah. going through all this, a imposter syndrome, right? So like, even after, you know, three years in, in the industry, whatever, I still was like, Ooh, I should probably just do whatever they ask. Um, and B, like, just your des, your economic desperation, it was, like, you know, the height of COVID. I did not have a job. The unemployment system in mm. America is a disaster. Like, yeah, I live in Manhattan, which is, like, the most yeah. expensive place you can And so I was, you know, I was basically, like, I did, if, there were a few times, a few instances where, like, the process like they were asking me to do was just like it, it was beyond and I did say one or two times like no, I'm not doing that um, but for the most part, I just kind of had to suck it up and be like, okay, I guess I'll go through your terrible process because I need a job um, yeah and and you just don't have any leverage, right because it's like if the, mm. you know if you don't if you don't want to do it, well guess what there's 10 engineers lined up behind you and they'll do it. Um, whereas now I feel like the power balance has shifted a bit where it's like, oh, everybody needs engineers and maybe we as engineers can be a little bit more selective of like, oh, you want me to do X, Y, Z for your process? No, thank you. I'll do X and Y and then, you know, I don't, we can talk, but (laughs) you know, so I'm hoping that that will That will shift some things a little bit, um, because they're definitely I've definitely seen conversations around, like more conversations around, like okay, this is pretty terrible. Maybe we shouldn't put up with it. (laughs) Like, yeah, types of
0: types. And also, exactly. And I mean, with you know the increased you know demand for people to apply, and the number of people who are starting to get into tech in unconventional ways, you know, we're hopefully reaching a tipping point where they are going to have to start changing its processes or they're going to be losing out on some quality talent that they're not able to screen for.
1: Yep, exactly. Well, and I'm already seeing it, I'm seeing it happen with uh, remote work. So like mm-hmm. I, I was never someone who actively pursued working remotely. I did not think I wanted remote work. I, because I, I, I blame it on like office culture brainwashing me for the first you know 10 years <laughs> of my career, um where I was just like I had this mindset where I was like no I don't really want to work from home like I like having the separation of like this is my home life this is my office and like I live in a studio apartment so it's like you know I, I don't have an office like my office is right there yeah. and my bed is right there you know and yeah. so I thought that like, oh no, I'd rather have, like, I want to, you know, ha- go into an office and, you know, work in person and then, you know, have my separation between home and work and then, eh. um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then COVID happened, obviously, as, as we know, um, and <laughs> everything was remote, it had to be, and so all yeah. of the, all of the, everything I was interviewing for over that, you know, that year was remote, some of it was like, some of it would have gone back to in person, at some point, but a lot of it was just like fully remote, um, and that was just yeah. the reality. And the job that I ended up taking is fully remote. They don't even have an office in New York, um, and so it was just kind of like, "Oh, this is what this is what happened, and this is the way it is." And let me tell you, like, so I—it's almost exactly a year since I started working there, um, and like a month in, I was like, "I can't believe." I haven't been working from home all along. Like working in an office is a scam. Like not for every industry and not for every person. I mean, I, teaching remotely would have been terrible. Like, cause I was, you know, I was a teacher yes. for a while and I'm like, Oh God, I can't imagine having to do that remotely. Yes. Like that just sounds awful. But like, there are some mm. professions where like, you do not need to be in an office and software engineering is one of them. <laughs> and, um, kind of makes me mad when I think about it because I'm like the way um, like I have chronic migraines and I have for, for decades like it's not a new thing um, and the way that like working from home the difference it has made in, in how I'm able to like manage my illness and manage my symptoms and still work is just like the difference is astounding um, like I don't have to yeah. mute I don't like you know I'm getting on the subway an hour each way before and sometimes that alone was enough to give me a migraine you know and so it's just like the like the difference in quality of life that I have now that like Mm. I am working from home I can log on and do work when I feel well and then log off and not do work when I feel like trash um yeah and like that sort of freedom to do that has just like I'm like I feel like I got scammed for 10 years by, like, by, like, big office, right? <laughs> like, trying yeah. to convince me that I needed to be in the office in order to do anything. Um, because I'm like, oh, I will never go back to working in an office. And I sometimes, like, I get, despite the fact that I have changed my LinkedIn to, like, I am not looking for work, um, I still get bombarded, recruiters and, you know, whatever, all the time. And every so often, one will come through, one came through today that was like, this will be an in-person role. And I'm like, well, good luck filling it (laughs) because guess what? (laughs) None of us want to go back Like, because we know we don't need to. That's the thing. Like, I would not mind having a position where, like, they have an office. You can go in if you want to. Maybe you go in for a meeting or once or twice a week or whatever, Mm. like, fine. But the idea that like you need to be in an office physically in order to be productive is just ludicrous. Like, and we yeah. all know that now. And like the wool <laughs> has been pulled from our eyes and we're like, no, like we're not, we're not doing that. So I'm like, every time I see a, a job posting that's like, oh, you must be in, like in person. I'm like, <laughs> good luck. Because <laughs> like, yeah. nobody I know in this industry wants to go back to in person so it's very even like even seeing that power balance shift a little bit has been like very rewarding
0: (laughs) (laughs) definitely and you know i've actually been freelance since 2008 working for myself Mm -hmm. remotely with you know clients locally interstate internationally and every now and then i get a recruiter say oh, you know, I, I think this is going to be a really great role for you, but it's in the office. And he's like, no. And I had one very honestly say to me, so I was reaching out to you to see whether you'd be inter- interested in this role and one of the perks I wanted to offer you was work from home Fridays and clearly that is not going to be a selling point for you. <laughs> and he's <it's> like, <laughs> no. no. Thank well, you for seeing that. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. But yep. it's Seeing that transition once COVID kicked in was very interesting Interesting for me because it's like, yeah. hi, welcome. You've joined us.
1: <laughs> yes. Yep. And like, I've actually, like, I have been surprised at how much I enjoy working from home. Like, because, because again, yeah. I was like, I was I, think I was brainwashed, like, you know, into this idea of like, oh no, it needs to be separate. We need to be in whatever. Um, because like even in the stu- I was I was worried that like, I'm like I live in a studio, I'm just gonna be in the same room all day, every day. Am I going to lose my mind? And like <laughs> fine. it's genuine And by Manhattan standards, it's a big studio. so it's not like, you know, it doesn't feel cramped, but like I have my little, like yeah. I have my little office area. It's separate. That's where I sit when I'm doing work. and when I'm not doing work, I do mm-hmm. not sit there. So like there is even yeah. within my little, my little abode there is like a division between like my my work and my not work um
0: exactly but
1: but yeah i definitely i definitely feel like i can't believe i spent all these years thinking i needed to commute to an office
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's different for everyone of course i mean with A lot of people you know work from home is perfect and especially I mean if you have conditions that you need to manage or you know you've got kids I mean kids it's a different issue because there's other things that you have yeah. to juggle for all of that but you know the yeah. idea that you have the flexibility of doing these things and even I guess more recently the better companies to the work for are the ones who say okay we've got core hours you know between x and x we need you to be available otherwise you know make up the rest of your time before after whenever at night yeah. whenever you work best because you will know when you are most effective and you know yep. that kind of idea and that kind of ability to be flexible I think is the best way so even if you do have you know companies where you require on site you can still be flexible about it and still allow right. your people to work in a way that makes them perform the best at the role that you have them to do and you know right. obviously for a few of my friends who've had to be remote for all this time they've just been hanging up for going back in the office because they just can't deal with the isolation. And, and that's fair because some people yeah. are like that. They work most yeah. effectively in that yeah. environment. So yeah, the important yeah. thing is being able to give people that choice and that ability to decide exactly. when and how they can work in order to bring the best yeah. work to the people they're working for and for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's great that, you know, all of this shaking up of everything is getting people to think about that a little bit more and you know hopefully that allows us to be a bit more inclusive of people with you know illness or disability or you know particular social preferences spoons you know all of that kind of thing and yeah yeah Yeah. we get lots of ways of being able to reform the way that we work
1: like even the idea that you like you must work an eight-hour day in order to be productive and like Contribute and get things done. Um, Like, even that is just, I'm like, do we know? (laughs) Like, (laughs) because I will say, like, one of the things you learn to do when you have a chronic illness is like, you get real efficient because you don't (laughs) know how long you're going to feel well. So, like, you know, I'll wake up and I'll feel okay. And then, two hours later, I feel like trash, you know, like you just don't mm-hmm. know. And so you have, like, I have this mindset of like, when I feel well, I'm like, go, 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 like, do, hurry, <laughs> do the laundry, do the, have your meetings, hurry, do it all. Yeah. like And I've had to do that for so many years that like, it's just second nature mm-hmm. to me. So I'm like, I don't like, I, so for example, yesterday um, I woke up, I did not feel well and I was, but I had morning meetings. So I was like, all right, let me just suck it up. I usually log on around 10 a.m. And then I'll, I have like a meeting at 1130. I was like, let me just suck it up. I'll do, you know, some, do a couple hours of work. I'll go to my 1130 meeting and then I'll log off and I'll sleep. Um, Cause then I had, I had afternoon meetings too. So I was like, all right, I can log off at noon, do my, do, take my meds, do my sleeping and log back on at three. Um, and that's what I did. So I, you know, I like, took my, took my three hour little like meds and nap um, (laughs) and logged by. And I still, so I'm like, I worked, you know, 10 to 12 ish. And then I worked three to six ish. And I got everything done that was on my to-do list for that day, even with taking that like three hour gap in the middle, because like, I've just had to function like that for so many years that like, okay, so I'll, I, you know, I'll get my things done in six hours instead of eight, like.
0: Yeah, and realistically, if you had to slog through that period, you'd still been working till 10 to six anyway, because you'd have been suffering through that additional three in the middle.
1: (laughs) And like, that's what I used to do, like, I used to, you know, when I, when I was going into an office, it was like, I either would, because, you know, like, I, my migraines are very variable so like I sometimes will go a couple weeks without having any and then sometimes I'll Mm. have one every single day for two weeks like you just don't know and so like obviously I can't just take two full weeks off work like because I have a migraine you know so when I was working in an office a lot of the time I would go in and I would feel a migraine coming on and I would have to decide like Am I going to go home and lose this whole work day and have to count it as a PTO day? Or am I going to, like, suck it up and be miserable for the next six hours and attempt Mm. to at least be sitting at my desk and probably not get very much done? Um, And, like, I had to do, I had to, like, weigh (laughs) weigh those choices often. Um, And, like, I, and I still do. Extent like, you know, I still have to, like, I still feel, I still feel guilty. Like when I, when I'm like, oh, I have to log off to take some rest, like, because it's so ingrained in us to just be like, no, you have to get your desk, you have to get your desk. Um, so I won't lie yeah, and this and is like, weakness. I feel no guilt. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So like, yeah. I still, there's still like a little bit of that, like residual, but in practice, I am much better able to like accommodate my own needs versus, like, when I had to go and be physically present in an office. So,
0: absolutely, yeah,
1: it's definitely, definitely has been, like, pretty, pretty revolutionary for me to be able to, to work from home and, like, not have to think about, oh, I'm going to have to go back in when, you know, whenever. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know a few people with chronic illness, with, which are pain-related, And, you know, they struggle so much because they can't hold down a job because the pain makes them take sick days. And when you take too many of those, you can't be kept on. And it's so debilitating because you want to be able to maintain your independence. You want to be able to be functional. And when your body doesn't cooperate, like you can't help that. And there weren't, yeah, there weren't any jobs before that allowed for people to have that option because, you know, you yeah. need to keep to those hours. So, yeah, again, hopefully this is giving people more options because, you know, you have all these skilled yeah. people who have these conditions that just need to be managed. Right. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. It's definitely, it's definitely a case of, um, like, giving, giving people flexibility allows so many more people to be able to contribute to society like yeah not exactly. having this rigid like <laughs> you must go to an office from 9 a.m to 5 p.m and sit at a desk but, like not having that rigidity to it like just allows for yeah for like so much more like societal participation even um it does so i yeah i i really hope i've seen like i'm very active on twitter and like um i follow a lot of like Chronically ill and disabled and you know, neurodiverse um, people, and like one of the one of the conversations that I've seen, not as much recently, but more um, towards like I would say like mid COVID um, yeah. on the timeline. Um, one of the conversations that I saw a lot was was like you know disabled people have been asking for years to have these accommodations, like to have to be able to work from home and to be able to have these mm-hmm. flexible hours, you know, et cetera. And we were always told, like, oh no, it's not possible. We can't do it. It won't work. It won't work. Yep. And all of a sudden, when we all had to do it, we all made it work. Um, so it was yeah. like, you know, this kind of like, told you so, like, why didn't you <laughs> listen to us? You know, yeah. type of a and and also then like seeing seeing like the anxiety around like, is this going to be a long-term change in our society where like, we do allow, allow more flexibility and allow more accommodation and allow, or is it just going to revert right back to like, well, yeah, pandemic's over time to go back to the office. So like, um, yeah, we'll see, I guess.
0: Yeah, we will. And I guess if, if you want to look at the more, uh, penny pinching aspect in terms of, you know, needing to offer financial support and government funding to be able to support disability and illness. And, you know, you'll have a lot of people who are on these payments because they have no other choice. They want to be functional. They just can't. And the only option they have to fall back on is being supported by, you know, the system. But when you allow them to have the independence to do these sorts of things, you're alleviating the pressure on the system. So, you know, you won't yeah the funding can go to other areas that need support because now you have this segment of your population who can now support themselves, be healthy mentally, both and physically, because they can support their conditions. And you know, yeah. it's only really win-win when you look at it in that perspective. But you know, it yeah. it's one of those shifts in the way that we approach these things and the way that we approach people who do need that help, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, and then of course in America we also have the whole issue of like our healthcare is is like based on employment, right? Like
0: yeah, mm-hmm.
1: which is I mean I could talk for an hour and a half just about that. <laughs> I have so many
0: yeah, I, I, I think so, so <laughs> many
1: talks. But I was When I was a teacher, my students, I I taught ESL to adults and my students always knew that like, if, if, if they wanted to run the clock out, like at the end of class, if they like didn't (laughs) want to do an assignment or like, one of them would just be like, teacher, what do you think about the U.S. healthcare system? And I would just rant (laughs) for like 20 minutes. They knew that was like the topic, the topic to raise if they just wanted to run out the clock. Um because yeah, I just like <laughs> so many thoughts and feelings about the US healthcare system, yeah. especially having experienced what it because like I lived, you know, I lived in the UK for almost four years. Um and mm-hmm. like having experienced universal healthcare and then coming back to this. Yeah. And I'm like,
0: yeah, how can anyone difficult. think that <laughs> this
1: is how I know that the UK system is not perfect. No system is perfect. But like, I will tell you my migraines were a lot less severe while I was living over there. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's because I did not have to stress about my healthcare. Like I never had to worry about medical bills. I never had to worry about, you know, specialist costs and treatment costs and all that sort of thing. And that makes a difference, like, you know, um, so yeah, I, the whole, the whole, like, healthcare being tied to employment thing is just utterly bonkers (laughs) to me, but, because that was the other thing is, like, when I lost my job in, you know, in March of 2020, I also lost my healthcare, so it was, like, yes, and yeah, like, it is better now, this, like, the system is slightly better now than it was, like, I don't know, 10-ish years ago, because we theoretically have, like, um, Medicaid Medicare coverage for, for, like, low income. Um, -hmm. so theoretically, you have, you, like, you can access healthcare and health insurance if you are, like, at a certain threshold of income, um, but... (laughs) the bureaucracy to like, to get, to get to it is mm. just painful. And like, and what happens is like for someone with a chronic illness. So like, I have, you know, I have multiple doctors, multiple specialists, multiple med- medications, multiple treatments. And every time I switch insurance, I have to get different doctors renew my, renew my, like, um, go through, re, re go through the whole process of getting my, my prescriptions approved, getting my treatments approved. It's a nightmare. Oh, so like I had to do all this in, like, I was, I lost my job. I had no income. And on top of it, I lost my health insurance and like, wasn't yeah. able to go see my, my regular doctor. Cause they weren't covered under the new insurance that I got through the state. Like it's just such a disaster. Um, and like, yeah, the lack of continuity of
0: care is, yeah,
1: it's appalling. And I remember like the, I had a, I had a month of gap between like when I lost my job and lost my health insurance. And when my new like state health insurance kicked in, there was like a gap of one month and one of my medications cost $700. So in the middle of a pandemic with no job, I lost
0: $700.
1: For this, for a month, for this Medicaid, like, and I'm just like, it's wild.
0: It's no. wild. It is. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah. another whole separate conversation.
1: <laughs> I'm like, see, see, I can just go on and on. Exactly.
0: It. Yeah. Like, it makes me so mad. Oh. Yeah. So okay, so that I don't keep you too late, we might start wrapping up with those last questions. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely something that we could go on for a lot longer talking about it. It's definitely so <laughs> fundamental issues with the systems, you know, all over the place, right? Yeah. Especially when yes. it's you know all about a society where we need to be healthy, and it's right. It is almost stigmatized to be unhealthy in any way, and yeah, yeah it's yeah other things. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so moving on to those last questions, <laughs> what hobby or interest do you have that is most unrelated to your field of work?
1: Oh, wow. I feel like every single one of my hobbies and interests is utterly unrelated to my work. That's why, that's why it's kind of like, it's, it's very strange that I ended up in the role that I'm in and in the industry that I'm in is because like, yeah, none of my like interests, hobbies, whatever are even like adjacently really related. I'm very artistic. <laughs> um I've I've at least dabbled in like most forms of artistic expression um so like I draw I paint I dance I write music I sing I play the piano um at various times like I I go through phases right so like I yeah. um like, I I did a like I did a lot of painting when I was living in London and doing my master's and doing my master's like dissertation on art therapy. I did a lot of like artwork. Um, I have a piano right over there. It's in, in my little studio. I have a little piano. Um, but like, I haven't, I haven't touched it in months. So it's very much like cyclical where I'm like, I'm usually doing something artistic, but like what that yeah. is varies greatly from year to year and month to month. Um,
0: yeah, I am the and same, I like, like, um, piano, guitar, ukulele, art, like, knitting, it's, it's cool. just, yeah. you know, whatever comes to me at the time that I feel like doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, right, well, and also I've, um, realized fairly recently, like, as I get older, I'm like, oh, I think I have ADHD, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, Cause I'm like, you know, it's, it's just like, it's talked about a lot more. I follow a lot of people on social media who are like neurodiverse, ADHD, uh, you know, autistic, whatever. And like, the more I learn about it, the more I'm like, oh, that's me. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I just, thought, I just thought everyone's brain was like that. Um, so like, I'm fairly certain that like, cause that's what I'll do is like, I'll find, you know, I'll, 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 get into something and I'll get like super into it for like a couple months. And then I'm like, "Eh, okay, next thing, (laughs) like, you know, so I have like all this array of hobbies that I'm like, I've gotten very into for like small amounts of time and then just moved on. Um, But I was, I was was realizing a couple days ago, I was like, so I read a lot. Like I would say I average probably at least a book a week, probably more. Um, and it's funny, like when people ask me about my hobbies or about like my interests or my, what I do in my free time, I never say reading because I think it's like, it's such an inherent part of me. I don't even think of it as being like a separate activity that I do. It's just like, oh no, this is just yeah. a thing I do every single day. Like, um, but yeah, I read, I read a lot. I read mostly like, mostly horror and like dystopian, um, post-apocalyptic fiction, that's like my favorite. I've like gotten a choice. bit close
0: over the last few years.
1: <laughs> yeah. In fact, I was reading, I don't know, I read so many of the same genre that sometimes they kind of like blend together. Um, so together. I don't even remember yeah. what it's called. But like at the height of COVID, I happened to read, like to be reading this book about like a plague. And I was like, I got part way into it and I was like, this is. A little too real. <laughs> like, I don't know if I want to be reading this. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I'm in it now. So I didn't need Yeah, I'm like, ah, a little close to home, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of reading. A lot of, I also love like horror, like horror media in general, so, like shows, movies, like all, of, all cool. of the things, all of like,
0: yeah did you watch the remake of it?
1: Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's very
0: good.
1: Gosh. Interestingly, I didn't really like as a child and as like, even as a young adult, I was not like, I was horrified by horror when I was like, (laughs) when I was young. So it wasn't something like I found it very frightening, very, very upsetting. It wasn't something that I got into until probably the last like 15 years. So, a yeah. lot of the stuff that's like that, you know, anything that came out like pre two thousand nine, I probably haven't seen. But like anything that came out since, especially in the last like five years, oh, I've seen it. <laughs> like in fact, oh, during the pandemic when I, it's still the pandemic, but during twenty twenty when I was <laughs> employed, um,
0: yeah.
1: I I was watching so much like. TV and movies and so much like and so much of it was so similar because I tend to stick within Mm -hmm. that genre um that I was like I would forget what I'd seen and I'd rewatch it (laughs) and so I started I I had to start a spreadsheet of like all of the movies (laughs) and tv shows that during 2020 so that I could keep track so that I could like if I was like have I seen this I could just look at my spreadsheet and like look it up (laughs) yeah
0: there are definitely a few films in specific genres where you know, they're all so similar and you start watching going, I'm pretty sure I've seen this, but now I can't remember. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Like if you, if you were like me, watch like all of the same type of media all the time, like they just start to blend together and you're like, did I see this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so even, so- yes. and sometimes I also will be able, cause like when I read something, I'm vi- like, I'm a very visual reader and like i will yeah. picture it very vividly in my head and so sometimes i can't remember if what i've seen or watched was a book or a movie i'm like wait is this did i read it or did i watch it like <laughs> i don't know sometimes both
0: that's cool so, yeah. yes sometimes both but yeah um so. as a kid i was pretty squeamish and I thought that I yeah. would kind of, you know, shock therapy myself out of this by re-watching the TV series of it over and over and uh, over. No. It didn't work. Still squeamish. Less say, squeamish I than I used it to work. be. No. Yeah. It was an experiment that just didn't pan out. And now clowns are a bit the problematic. Yeah. But-, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when the new it came out, I saw the trailer and I went. Shit, well, given my background with it, should I rewatch this? And I saw the trailer, and I just went, "Nope, nope, 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 nope." Straight <laughs> out of that, and I went, nope. it, lo- "It looks amazing. Fair enough. Looks absolutely incredible. I think yeah. they would have done a fantastic yeah. job, but nope."
1: <laughs> that is very fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs>
0: oh, There's God. definitely
1: some yes. of like where I'm just like, nope, too scarred, too scarred. Not, not gonna watch that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: yeah absolutely it's like nope there's a line that's crossed it I'm done <laughs> yeah. okay and uh, let's see which childhood book holds the strongest memories for you
1: oh god well as mentioned I'm like am and always have been avid. an avid reader I was like I was like the kid in lit class who would like had already read all the books and was like teacher give me something <laughs> else to read like i never even hated because I was like I already read them <laughs> um but <laughs> like um that i just read over and over and over again and like i think still holds up is a little princess um i don't know if you're familiar with it have you read that one yeah
0: read it ages ago long time ago yeah
1: yeah, you know it's a children's children's book but like i mean because we had you know we owned the book we had like like the special hardback you know whatever um and i just remember like reading it multiple times and just like loving it every time um And yeah, and I'm like, because I was actually thinking about this fairly recently, like over around Christmas time. Um, I was talking about the movie A Little Princess with my friend, and I was like, yeah, it actually really holds up. Like, it's got some pretty, like, pretty good themes in it um, about, like, you know, dignity and kindness and all those sorts of things. Um, So yeah, that that one, I would say, has had a, a pretty big influence.
0: That's awesome. So, as a child, what yeah. was it that really got to you about it?
1: Um, I mean, I also was just like, I was, I was a very strange child. Um, <laughs> strange child, strange adult. Um, but, like, I'm like, I didn't know, of course, you never know that you're strange when you're right. But, I'm like, I'm like, like thinking back <laughs> more recently back of like i was explaining to someone a couple weeks ago i was like yeah i was like very into like collecting rocks and gemstones as a child like i used to make my parents take me to like rock and mineral like trade shows as a child i'm like i guess that's not that's cool (laughs) but at the time i was just like yeah this is what i'm into um so similarly i was very into like uh, just, like, anything that was, like, Victorian, like, I just loved it, I lo- like, so, like, A Little Princess oh, cool. Super Garden, like, you know, all of those, that, that aesthetic, right, all like, those, American Girl kind of period. Dolls, I mean, Yeah, we had, we had multiple American Girl Dolls, like, that whole aesthetic was very, I was very into that, um, and that just, like, A Little Princess just, like, fed right into that, it was, like, all of the things, <laughs> um, yes give me victorian london i love it like as like a seven year old <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome yeah. like, i don't
0: know exactly what this period is but i'm really into it that's that's my aesthetic i've yes, decided
1: I- <laughs> yeah and it still is so i was on to something <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> yeah. and now it's trendy again
1: <laughs> exactly yeah
0: <laughs> very cool yeah
1: very strange
0: No, not strange. I think like when we all cultivate kind of, you know, aesthetics as a kid, when we're just trying to decide. Yeah, yeah, it's just a thing that we do. And it's, yeah, it's, it's cool. You go through phases, you figure out who you are and what you like. (laughs) Okay, and last question. What advice would you give to someone who wants to get into what you do? Or what advice should they ignore?
1: Hmm. Yes. Um. I mean, I would say that what I what I tell anyone who who asks me about getting just more generally about getting into tech, not even necessarily like in my, you know in this particular role or whatever. Yeah. Um, is like tech is a ginormous industry, right? Like the 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 word tech is just like an umbrella term that we use for this like huge industry that contains a, just a myriad of, like, roles and skills. And so, like, what I try to remind people when they ask me, like, or, you know, if they even mention, like, oh, I'm, like, thinking about, you know, maybe getting in tech. I'm like, there is a place for you in tech. There is, because yeah. it's such a broad, like, whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever your skill set, somewhere there is, you can fit in tech. Right. Because, um, like, it's just such a, such a huge industry with so many different opportunities. And, um, so, I mean, like, you know, the, the way that I chose to approach it was like, and I feel like it's, um, I, so I did my boot camp in like 20, late 2016, early 2017. And I feel like since then, it's just like, exploded right whereas like because when I when I did my boot camp it was um there I was living in San Diego and there were I think maybe two or three boot camps in San Diego at the time by the time I moved away in 2018 there were just like they were springing up everywhere um and so I feel like there are there are so many options now for like how how to get in like how to get into tech and and what to do within that um Mm. I would also say, like, on a practical level, um, like, a practical financial level, don't, like, you don't need to pay a ton of money to learn these skills. There are places that will tell you that you do, um, and it, it, because I've... I mean, I, I did a full-time bootcamp, so it was like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't free, <laughs> wasn't cheap, but I've yeah. heard of places that are charging, like, essentially the equivalent of what you'd pay in the U.S. for, like, a university yeah. degree, just to do one of these bootcamps, mm. and, like, you don't need to do that. You don't need to give someone $40,000 to, to be able to get in, you know, your foot in the door of the tech industry. Um,
0: yeah. so, like, hey, that, you might as well go to university. <laughs>
1: And I think for a lot of people, it's the time factor, right? So it's like you go to university, that's four years. You know, you do one of these boot camps, like it's six months, maybe, you know, maybe a year, depending on which one you do. But, um, but yeah, I, so that's, that's like on a practical level that like there, I feel like at this point in, um, in the industry, there are so many resources now for people who Mm -hmm. want to learn and who want to be like in, in the industry in some form. Um, Like, either free or affordable resources. Um, It might take a little digging, but, like, they're definitely there. So don't feel like you need to shell out, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to learn these skills, because you don't. Um, Mm. And the other thing I will say, and this is, I mean, like, so the way that I got my first job in tech, because I think that that is, like, one of the biggest, like beyond learning the skills, like once you learn the skills, like that's obviously a hurdle to get over. Um, but then I feel like after that, the biggest challenge for me was like getting my first, like getting my foot in the door, getting my first job in
0: Um,
1: and especially now where there's like a, a very large demand for senior engineers and less demand for junior engineers. Um, and For me, the way that I got my foot in the door was an internship. Like, it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not ideal. It's not going to work for everyone. Um, I will also say, like, paid internships, (laughs) like (laughs) that, right? Like, in order to be ethical, an internship should be paid. Um, Mm. So, like, my first job after my boot camp was an internship. Like, it was paid, but it was basically minimum wage. Um, mm-hmm. so like you know, it wasn't I, I want to be, I want to like be honest with people about what my path into tech looked like. It wasn't like I did this boot camp and then I started making six figures the next month, right It was like I yeah. did this boot camp, it was four months, then I then I got an, an internship, like a part-time minimum wage internship. and I did that for a mm-hmm. year. And then I got, like then I moved out to New York and then I got like, a contracting role that was like, you know, much like full-time, much better pay, but still a contract, still hourly. Right. And yeah. it wasn't until 2019 that I got like, so I finished my boot camp in 2017 and in 2019 was when I got my first like salaried benefits job in tech. Um, and yeah. so I want, like, I want to be very honest about that. I don't want, like, not to discourage people from, like, from, mm. from, from getting into tech, but to paint a more realistic picture of, like, yes, you can have this, you know, well-paid, you know, financially secure, you know, fulfilling job. It probably will not happen overnight, right? It's, and, yeah. and everyone's path to that probably going to look different. Um, yes. and for me, like one of the best ways to do that was to get an internship and like the way that I supported myself while I was making minimum, like I, I worked like 20 hours a week at the internship and then I worked, I went back yes. to teaching. I did 20 hours a week of teaching, which was like,
0: mm-hmm. at
1: the t- like better pay than the internship. Right. So that, yeah. cause like the thing, the thing with, with like a lot of careers and, and with my career as a teacher was like. The ceiling for that was like right here, right? It was like I was making 20 an hour, and like maybe I could have hoped to make 25 eventually, right? But like that's the ceiling. Whereas the tech, it was like, okay, I started out as an intern making $13 an hour. Like it was not great. But the ceiling is way up here for it, where it's like, okay, you do that for like, you know, six months or whatever. And then your next jump up to, you know, junior software developer is significant, right? And your jump from junior to mid or junior to senior is significant. Um, Whereas I feel like with a lot of other industries, it's just like, here's where you, here's where you cap out. Mm -hmm. Right. $30,000 a year. Good luck. (laughs) You know? Um, So yeah, I just, I do like, I want people to have realistic expectations of like what it might look like. It is hard hard like it is it is hard if like especially if you are any sort of underrepresented group in tech so if you're a woman or if you're a person of color or you whatever um like it's gonna be probably harder like I want to unfortunately I wish that wasn't true and I and I am working to make it less true um but it's also I think I think it's really important for, like people to be honest about their experiences, so that other people know mm. they're not alone. Like, because I felt like I was losing yeah. my mind. Like when I was going through that whole year of interviews, I was like, "Like, am I like, am mm. I the only one this is happening to?" Like, and that's when I kind yeah. of, sort of became more active on Twitter and started following women in tech on Twitter, and I was just like. It was very affirming because I'm like, oh no, I'm not losing it. Like, this is a thing. Like, we're all yeah. collectively experiencing it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like the more that we talk about it and like share our experiences and are honest about it, like the better support we can give. Um, so, yeah.
0: You often see because in social media, it's all about, you know, perception, right? So, being honest right. about these experiences, being able to share about the fact that, you know, we do we don't have that straight line that, you know, all these journeys, it it is an actual journey. You're not just going to leap out and go, right, done. I've achieved my goal. You're going to have steps on the way. (laughs) And sometimes they're not going to be great steps, but you know, it's about having an understanding of what your goals are and being realistic about the fact that it may not go exactly to plan.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think like being willing to like, to, I hate to use the word pivot because it's such a startupy like we're <laughs> like pivot, we're pivoting. But like being willing to pivot your your goals and your expectations, like yeah. is a big part of like succeeding in I mean, I think in any in anything, in any industry, yeah. but I think especially in tech. Because like, I mean, I didn't set out to be, like I said, like I kind of accidentally became an engineering manager, right? Yeah. It was like, oh, well planning on this but like the opportunity presented itself it aligned with kind of like what I wanted to be doing and what and you know what I was interested in and I was like okay let's see how this goes um so I think kind of yes. being willing to to like to make those like little pivots or big pivots as the case may be um yeah in your like trajectory and in your in your goals or your path um I think is like like moving to New York for me was was my second choice. Like I was trying yeah. very hard to move back to London. My whole goal like in getting into tech in you know making this huge transition like my one of the main focuses of that was that I wanted to move back to London. I never wanted to leave in the first place. Yeah. I had had to leave for like whatever immigration visa reasons various. And yeah. I wanted to this I wanted to this this visa for people in tech that would have allowed me to move back. And I mm. spent a whole year working on my visa application while I was doing this internship and I submitted it and it got rejected and it was just like cool what now what now um yeah and I mean I had always had New York as my backup plan because I like I had never lived here but I my sister lives here I visited multiple times I knew I really liked it um and so, like, that was my kind of plan B if, if the, the mm. UK visa did not come through, which it did not. Um, so I moved out. I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to New York. Um, moved out here and, like, was a, a little worried that it was always going to feel like my second choice. And it kind of felt like, oh, honest, it kind of felt like giving up. Like, when I when I got the visa rejection and I was like, cool I guess I just have to live in New York now like it was very hard for me to accept that and to not just because I'm very stubborn like when I set my mind to something I'm like no this is the thing I will do um and so like it felt like like it felt like giving up to just be like well I guess I'll just move to New York instead um but I've been very happy here and I've been very happy with my choice to move here um and it has not felt like plan b um, so I think also just like yeah. being willing to like, you know, have, have, things feel a little differently than, than you thought they would, um, is, is pretty crucial sometimes.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I guess another thing, a lot of people feel that when you make choices for financial decisions that they are somehow lesser choices, but I mean, right? you know, you, you made that, you made that choice to switch com- fields yeah. entirely because, it wasn't going to support you. You were not going to be able to survive. You went to tech because tech, yeah. realistically, has better opportunities for being able to get yeah. financial stability. And those yeah. decisions to go into these areas are completely valid. And you know, a lot of people feel, yeah. oh, but I don't want to do it for the money. It's like, well, you need money to live, realistically. It's okay to do stuff for the right. money, but you can do the stuff not for the money as well while you're doing the stuff for the money. It, it's okay to have both and right. you know, being able to... Yeah not be living in survival mode at the time so you know, yeah yeah and for a lot of people like it's it's hard people. to make that decision
1: yeah um and yeah and like for people like me who need like for me it was very much like I had to ask myself do I want to be someone in my 30s who has to ask my parents for help with my medical bills because that's where that's where I was at and yeah. like, who has to you know? Every time I see a new specialist, I have to either go through the terrible bureaucracy or like ask my parents for help. And I was like, yeah, I don't want that for myself. Um, and yeah. so like making the decisions like to and, you know, and I'm very fortunate in that like I know that not everyone even has like the option to like, oh, do I want to switch into this totally different career? <laughs> um, so like, I know yeah. that I very fortunate to have to have had that option Um, but but yeah I mean I I am like I'm very honest about like when people ask me like oh why did you get into tech I'm like I wanted financial stability like I wanted financial stability and I wanted a career rather than like a series of jobs which is what I had had up Mm. to that point Um, yeah and yeah like you said I think that like if that's the perfectly valid reason like to do something right is because like you want yeah you want to be independent you want to support yourself you want stability like i think that's completely valid so yeah
0: yes amazing okay well we might wrap that up now since yeah going for ages we could keep talking but yeah it's getting a bit late for you <laughs> so thank you so much Johnson, yeah. for speaking with you today it's been yeah. so great learning about your indirect path to tech and Yeah, just thank you for being so honest about that journey it's yeah been fascinating talking to you about all of this (laughs) so if people would like to learn more about what you do where can they go
1: um so i as i have mentioned several times i'm very active on twitter um I don't tweet exclusively about tech stuff. I tweet about a whole, everything. (laughs) Whatever pops into my mind is what I tweet about. So there's a lot about like illness and feminism and my dog. (laughs) She's on there a lot. Um, (laughs) As well as as, uh, tech stuff and, you know, uh, representation in tech and inclusivity in tech and those sorts of things. And to that end, actually... We, so in the job that I'm in now, we just launched, I'm so excited. Um, I've been working on launching an internship program and we just nice. launched like the job, like I just posted the job ad for that today. So there is a link to it on my Twitter. Wonderful. Wants to be my intern. It's paid.
0: Awesome. Because we're Excellent. active. <laughs> not a problem. So, yes. Uh, but yeah, most of the I'm
1: not super active anywhere else. I'm not like, I have an Instagram, but I never post to it. Um, so yeah, like Twitter and LinkedIn probably are, are the best places to find me.
0: All good. I'll put those links in the show notes. All right. So thank you again, Jocelyn. It's been absolutely amazing to speak with you and I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening.
1: Thank you. And it was great to speak with you as well.
0: With technology being so broad as an industry, it's not surprising that more people are finding their way to take from other fields. It's all the more reason that we need to review the way that we interview for these roles. Not just for efficiency and efficacy, but so that we know that we're actually able to draw from the best pool of talent available to us. To learn more about Jocelyn and what we discuss on the show, or to connect with us, please visit the Steampard website at steampoweredshow.com. You can also find out more about Jocelyn and her work on Twitter at TheRealJocelynJ and LinkedIn, the links for which will be in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, please let me know. Subscribe to the show, leave a comment, and share this with your geeky or geek curious friends. You can also support Steam Powered on Patreon and Ko-fi under Steam Powered Show, the links for which will also be in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.